You're listening to Change the World, the podcast for Jewish nonprofit leaders. I'm your host, Sivya Kohn. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am here with Racheli Edelkop of Petal. And I am really excited. This is a long overdue conversation of someone I have been secretly stalking on LinkedIn, hashtag not embarrassed. And I could just tell that Rachel and I are very, very like-minded in terms of the way that we think about things and working with nonprofits. So I'm really, really excited. Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Any excuse to, you know, run away from my responsibilities and just talk about marketing and nonprofits, like I'm down. I love it. I love it. So let's do it. So tell me a little bit about you. I'm always really curious to hear how people like us kind of fell into this space. So give me a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So I actually um, started out with marketing pretty soon after I graduated. Um, I was working for two startup Brooklyn brands. And what I thought would be like an instant love, like everything that you know, I thought a marketing job would be, I was kind of feeling very unfulfilled. Like I just was like, I don't actually care enough about these products. Like I'm not fired up about it. And I had previously volunteered and spent a lot of time with actually the organization called Friendship Circle. And so I ended up working for their international branch and actually um, moving out to Canada with my husband working as a program director for their chapter in Montreal. And what actually happened was I walked in, thought I'm going to be a program director. And I see on the wall, there was like, you know, those thermometers that they have like during fundraising campaigns. Sure. So it's like a thermometer on the wall and like the top ship says 100 and it's like halfway filled. And I was like, okay, they, there's like they're this huge organization. There's no way they're raising 100 bucks. So like, what is this? And they're like, oh, we're trying to get a hundred kids to participate in our programs. And I was like in shock. I'm standing in this beautiful building. They have like amazing programs, you know, every every night running it, you know, after school programs. And I'm like, why are they struggling to, you know, get participants? And that's really where I realized that like my job was not just going to be program director. I was going to take all of my, you know, marketing experience and bring that into the role as well. And um, over, I think it was about six or seven years that, um, that I worked there as the program director, we saw like just going from like walking in a room and people like not knowing the name of the organization to like it being a household name in the organization. Every bank of Canada was a corporate sponsor by the time we left. You know, the government was this amazing sponsor. We we went from just like events, like our annual event, having like a couple of hundred people to like over a thousand. Um, and all of our programs were wait lists. We duplicated programs. Like it was, you know, people DMing us, how can we volunteer? So Obviously not a quick fix. This was, you know, a strategy that we put into place over months, but I was really able to get a front row seat to like what marketing can do for an organization that's, you know, that really, I think most nonprofits are doing this amazing work, but then there's this gap of like what a nonprofit founder sees, what the team sees and what the outside person sees. And very often founders are frustrated because they're like, we're doing such good work. And like, they don't get it. And instead of it being like, they don't get it, it's like, no, that's actually part of the job. The job, you know, I I literally had that. The job wasn't program director. The, pro- the job was, listen, if you want these to be successful, you need to get really good at communicating that. So that's kind of how I stumbled, fell into this. I started my company about three years ago, worked with over a hundred nonprofits. And yeah, I, I love it. Can't imagine doing anything else. Okay, I have so many questions. First of all, before I ask you any questions, I just have to say how much I love your personal brand that you created around Pedal. I think you infuse such a breath of fresh air into such a 
old, boring sector where just so much has just been so like cold and corporate looking, which is so odd because it's such a warm mission oriented field, but you don't really see much of that. So when I first stumbled across that, I don't remember when I was like, I love this. So kudos to you for trying something new because it's working really, really well, at least for me. Um, So let's just go back because I'm super curious about, um, you said about Friendship Circle, you kind of got them to the point where people are reaching out and you know, asking how they can get involved. And that's, I think, the holy grail for um, nonprofits is for people to be coming to them. So can you like maybe give us a little bit about what you did to get them there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the first place I always like to start is really understanding like what what is happening here beyond the programming? I think I'm sure you know this. I'm sure you see this all the time and you have to kind of um, get this over is like, Nobody needs to see a laundry list of your programs, but they do need to understand what you're doing. So like I just was actually on a I had a nonprofit inquiry call right before this. And, you know, the nonprofit was saying, you know, our problem is that we do, you know, these, you know, eight programs and people only know about the three. I'm like, that's not your problem. The problem is they need to know why these programs matters, what's happening, how this matches their values and their worldview. And I think that was like the first massive shift we did is stop obsessing over like all the names of our programs and how can we like sell that to you as fast as possible but instead like what are our shared values around this and that becomes front and center yes this you know yes this happens to be at x program or x program but these are all vehicles that and we're on the road towards this mission and that's like massive shift has to happen in everything that you communicate whether that's you know verbally whether that's online that was one of the one of just like a massive shift throughout the entire organization. Another, I'm going back to like, you know, a, a decade ago, another thing that might sound, you know, too simple to even mention, but I brought in volunteer photographers to do photo shoots. And, you know, at the end of the day, social media is a space. Yes, we want it to be authentic, but also people are looking for pretty inspiring, beautiful things. And so if you have, you you know, one of the ways to capture the heart and soul of what you do is you want to have great photos, great, great videos. I had, you know, I, I put up, I think, uh, just for uh, internship, unpaid internship ads on Indeed. And I got so many photographers and videographers wow. volunteer. Like this was like a $0 investment. So that was a huge thing. Just when you got to our feed, a lot of nonprofits don't do that. So to come and see all the photography was, you know, professional and polished and beautiful and capturing what was going on, that was a big thing. So like we kept thinking like, okay, we can't, not everybody is going to walk into this room. So how can we get them the feeling of what this is without walking into the room? That is the goal because our executive director was telling me, he's like, if they would just come, they would know. I'm like, well, all right, so bring them, you know? And so you, you know, the question I really like to ask is like, what if they will never come? right? This person's never going to volunteer. They're never going to, this parent is never going to sign up their kid with autism to the program. How can I give them a taste of that inclusion, of that friendship, of that energy? And, you know, ironically enough, that is the thing. When I, when we put our agendas aside, when we're like, you know what, they're not going to, we're not trying to convince them. We just want them to feel that energy, see that beauty and have something that speaks to their values. Um, that's really is the thing that, that, um, that moves them moves them, you know, towards that place of action that we, you know, really want. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about what you said about the laundry list of services. And I think that we as the service providers see the most that the things that the nonprofits are the most proud of and they spend the most energy on are very often the things that matter the least to the people on the other end, like the laundry list of services or sometimes the cold hard numbers matter 
you know, just not nearly as much as one really good story or one really good picture. So yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So let's go back for a second to your company, I guess. Tell me how you work with clients, what you do for them, what the engagement looks like. Yeah, sure. So when I started my company, it was like just at the beginning of COVID. I, you know, I have to say that I kind of started it as like, hey, this is an experiment. Let's see what happens, which is why, by the way, you mentioned my aesthetic. I, I kind of for a minute was like, this is super feminine or any guy's going to hire me, you know? And then I was like, oh, it's just an experiment. Let's put it out there. And then funny enough, I think my first like five clients were all were all men. So I'm like, I guess my, you know, very feminine aesthetic didn't scare anyone off. But um, my first real thought was, how can I help small nonprofits who don't have an in-house marketing team, who don't have big budgets, DIY their own marketing? Can I kind of distill what I know, what I've done, and kind of skill them up so they can do this on their own? So that was like my first passion of entering the space. I was like, can I Can I do that? So to be honest, um, I started out, I really, my goal was, I said, it's a six-week program, one-on-one. When you're done, you're never going to need me again. You know, you're going to be able to DIY your marketing. That was like my dream. And what I kind of realized was that for some people who like marketing, that did work really well. Like they were just like, okay, I need the strategy and, you know, skill me up and I can do it. But I definitely saw that there was not going to be this like one offer that I can sell to everyone. And it's just going to go into appeals to everyone. You know, I have nonprofits reach out to me who have a marketing team and they're like, well, you know, we have a marketing team. What, you know, what, what should we do? How should we do this? So at this point, I still offer that program. Still one of my favorites to see a nonprofit go through it and then just like, say goodbye. And I always say, I'm like, now I'm just going to stalk you on Instagram and get to like, um, and, and they, they're like, no, but don't judge me, you know, but like, um, it's a lot of fun to, to just like kind of be able to see them go and run with it. But at this point, I definitely work a lot in the campaign space, which to be honest, I resisted for a long time because one of the things that I speak about a lot is, you know, like when like someone random like calls you out of the blue and they like, I don't know, they're like super friendly and like super over the top. And then like, they just ask you for a favor. Like some of that fluffiness, you're almost like, oh my gosh, like you're only doing that because you want something from me. Um, versus like a friend can like text you for a massive favor. Like just like, hey, by the way, you know, can you pick up my kids and make them dinner and put them to bed because like, you know, something, you know, we're having a crisis. So the way I really like to think about it is like, the campaign matters so much less than like what you're doing every other day of the year. I said, you know what? Just like what I tell clients, you have to meet people where they're at. And so if nonprofits are like, this is where we have the budget, this is where we have the interest to up-level our marketing around campaigns, then I will meet them where they are. And what I try to do is two things. Number one, try to pull back the curtain on all the processes of what I'm doing. So like, here's the formula music for your email. Here's, you know, the more I can strip it back, the more they can take some of these findings and keep doing it in their full year marketing. Like I literally had, I think this season, three clients I was so proud did not return to do their campaign. You followed the formulas and they like, they like sent me, they were like, look, look, look how I did it. And I was like, that's amazing. So um, that's one route. And then I definitely have some clients that will start up, we'll do the campaign together. And then they'll be like, okay, come on, help me DIY my marketing. Let's up level this for, for the full year. In the beginning, I was resistant. I'm like, I don't want to just come and do it campaign. And then, you know, and then what's the marketing? What's your communication going to be like all year? But like I always, when they tell my clients, I'm like, what are people's values? What do they care about? Meet them there and then take them across the bridge where you want them to go. Yeah, that I, I could not agree with any of what you said more. Um, I think so many more organizations need to understand this. 
I think the part about the campaign mattering less than what you do throughout the year, they like they need to understand how important that is because so many of them get that wrong. And I also think that what I'm coming to understand is also what the campaign looks like because so many of them like think that they have to be so creative and it should be this event, this catchy tagline, this raffle, this auction to get people in. And the campaign itself is not actually about the organization. I think that adds a lot too because people are not dumb. And if you're selling them an incentive, like they get that. And that's all that's going to matter. And there are so many organizations that have like said to me, like what you similar to what you said, like they don't get it. Like people don't get what we do because all of your marketing is around this like auction or event or, you know, campaign that really doesn't tie into your mission. And like, that's such a missed opportunity because they spend a lot of money sometimes and the return is not always super high. But if you did it in a way where the return can build on itself year after year, because anyone who was involved just gets it. Like to me, that's really where the the shift comes. Is that something like you've seen as well? Yeah. So the thing that I see a lot with taglines is you know, sometimes, right, so you're, you mentioned two things that kind of take a distract it away, right? Like one is like there's this big, uh, you know, concert or auction or whatever it is, right, which obviously is overshadowing the message, but often can bring in, you know, people that wouldn't necessarily give. But what actually bothers me more are like the themes that actually don't have any meaning, like the tagline. And then you got to, every email is just about how can we squeeze this tagline into this email rather than like, what's that main message we want to say? So I'm always like, very often when I'm working with a nonprofit for the first year of the campaign, we don't even necessarily use it. I'm like, you know, I'm like the tagline, if it serves us, we will bring it in. If it doesn't, we don't need it. So we want to get it as a tool, not a strategy. A tagline is not a strategy. If it's, you know, stemming from, this is the main message we need to communicate. But, you know, just because something rhymes or just because, you know, it's a pun and I love puns, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't mean that that is the main thing that you need to communicate to your audience. Like a tool, not a strategy. That's a very Exactly, yeah. I'll give you kind of a quick example. Um, I know Israel is on my heart right now. And a big part of that is the college campuses. So many of them are just like what their students are experiencing is like over the top. And so our main strategy was to communicate what these students are going through and that, you know, these students having like Jewish experiences is going to make them, you know, resilient and proud of who they are and like strong Jewish leaders. And so we knew what we needed to say. And then, you know, the tagline that we ended up doing is we ended up having these students hold up cartwood signs, kind of like the dude with the sign. Yeah. And they, you know, they had powerful statements on it, like students should go to college to study anti-Semitism, not experience it. Right. And so, but them holding up these signs worked in so many ways because, you know, we were restating the main values that these donors wanted to see, right? We were showing, look at these proud, strong, young Jewish leaders. And then, you know, the tagline fit great. It said, you know, this is your sign to support, you know, vibrant, you know, vibrant Jewish life on campus. But the goal was like, first, you need to know what you want to communicate, how, and then the creative gets to kind of be tagged along rather than say, oh, what would be creative? And then wait, does this at all match, you know, the message we want to communicate? Yes. Yes. That makes so much sense. Think about the creativity last, but like, basically, yes. yes, I like Not that. that. It's not important, but we really want it to carry that vehicle that, you know, contains the strategy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to think about what serves the organization best in the long term, not what people will look at and be like, wow, that was so clever. Or that was so out of the box. Or that was such a fun night. Like, where will this take us? And does it build upon itself? Um, I want to talk to you about something that's 
big, always like a big question is the relationship between marketing and fundraising in an organization, especially a small one. There are so many times that I've seen organizations treat their fundraising campaigns as their marketing. And they could just kind of assume they're good to go for the year. Or in the case of like a large organization, they'll have a marketing team and a fundraising team and the two really do not communicate. What, like, where, what's your point of view on all of that? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I've made some mistakes in this area. As a program director who was also the marketing director, I detested fundraising. At least the fundraising I saw was very much about, you know, I just looked at it as like, you know, you're sucking up to someone and then you're going to ask them for, for the donation. I definitely also saw a lot in the space of people who would try to pivot their mission towards what the donor wanted. So, you know, so it, it felt to me like just instead of you standing in like, this is our mission, these are our values, does this match your values? It was like, hey, dude, what are your, you know, you have a lot of money, what are your values? Maybe we can kind of like pivot and fit into that. And so I was, I was very, I, I just wasn't a fan of fundraising. Like I thought it was pleasing. Luckily, uh, since then I've met so many incredible, very authentic fundraisers. And the way I at least kind of, I, I see the two as like, if you're going to silo them, it's going to be a disaster. What you really want to do is, you know, be like, what's working offline, right? When we meet someone, when we have a conversation, what works, what resonates? Because at the end of the day, people online and people offline, like we're the same people. Yes. You know, you might need a catchy, you know, subject line to get them to open it. And you might need, you know, a coffee date to be able to have that, you know, offline interaction, but people are just people. And what's going to resonate if we can see, wow, you know, that email, that story, it blew up on social. That is something that we should be using that story in our pitch to one-on-one donors, right? Like how can we let these learnings and these findings, you know, auditing what's working and then moving them back and forth. Personally, the way I kind of see my role is in that online space. And then I see, you know, a lot of the, the fundraising being that offline, that one-on-one rates. When I'm working with a nonprofit on the campaign, they might be working with a fundraiser to secure their matching funds and, you know, their teams. And then I'm coming in and saying, okay, here's the communication for email, for social media, for text marketing or whatever it is. But I do think that they really, they really belong on one team. I don't think they should be siloed the way they have traditionally been for so long. Yeah, not only not being siloed, but also I think being seen as more of like a circular process where yes. anyone that the fundraiser closes can be brought back into the marketing side of things to kind of build outwards. I think that's a missed opportunity that not a lot of people are taking advantage of. And then you, you see these like brands, like say like Lululemon, who are just doing really, really amazing things with like building community. And I'm thinking to myself, these missions are so much more important than like workout yeah. things. Like imagine what you can do if you brought all these new people back in and say, wait, you're not just a donor. You're not just a check to us you're an ambassador for us and like, come help, you know, come talk to us about what we can be doing to get more, you know, more of your friends. And what do you, what would it look like for you to be more involved and what would be meaningful to you? Not in a way that's like trying to fit your values into our mission, but in a very mission aligned way, I think could be something that's really, really cool. So you mentioned about like campus right now and what's going on in Israel. And I've just seen such a kind of like weird kind of pull, like fall over the nonprofit industry where no, you know, starting after October 7th and even now, like a lot of the organizations don't really know what to do. Some of them seem to be just kind of like at this point, two months in, ignoring it and going ahead with their regular events. Some of them have tried to adapt and like kind of throw something in with their regular programming that sort of applies to Israel. Some of them have gone totally silent. I've seen, you know, people on the nonprofit side that I follow on LinkedIn just talk about Israel 
which I think is important. I think we have to talk about Israel and I think we have to talk about anti-Semitism, but I'm wondering like what happens to their organization now. So how have you, I'm sure your clients have been reaching out to you and just kind of like saying, what do we do? How yeah. have you been advising people about, you know, how to approach this kind of like really gray, tough area right now? Yeah. So I think there was a period where we were all frozen. I think it was probably about four weeks um, at least for me where like I was sitting on my computer pre- pretending to work and scrolling yeah. on Instagram. I will be very, very transparent with you because you were just frozen. Like our brains didn't even work. And then I think, and I think during that fog, of course, people had to pause their work pause there any kind of fundraising plans, um, pause communication that wasn't strongly related to Israel. It was inappropriate. Like people, you're, you're grieving. You don't walk into a Shiva house and be like, have you heard about, you know, whatever it is. But I think once we kind of, not that the tragedy is is any any less, it's, it's only grown. But I think once, once we, you know, our brains are a little bit more back online, I think we need to realize that if you're a Jewish organization, what are we actually fighting for? We're not fighting for a piece of land that's, you know, this and this size. We're fighting for our Jewish values, for our Jewish way of life, for our Jewish beliefs. And I think you just look at, you know, the videos, those like amazing videos coming out of Israel. We're with these soldiers, you know, dancing. You can hear by the shiva of, you know, some of these fallen soldiers, what people are saying. And you see, like they are living out Jewish values and Jewish joy and Jewish community and supporting each other. And I think we I think we it's a mistake to look at the work that you do as something that's separate from Israel. Which, like, don't pretend. Don't be like, if you support, you know, this little, you know, our little program in Chicago, that's going to help Israel. Like, no. But we want to realize that, like, these are the same values that we are fighting for collectively, right? The side of humanity, the side of justice, and all of all of this stuff. And I think just knowing that, you don't have to say anything, just knowing that and standing in it is going to make your communication be a lot more authentic. You're not going to be apologetic in the way you communicate. And I think putting in a little bit of that, you want to do what you want to do it authentically, which means if you're like, you don't want to be like, here's how my organization somehow loosely connects to Israel or my organization now is doing it, even though we have nothing to do with Israel, suddenly we're doing like, you know, this random fundraiser for Israel. Like it's confusing to people. Like, let people know what it is that you do. Remind them of that. Go back full circle to like, what are your shared values? And I think people more than ever, they are looking for ways to live out their values. And so show them, show them those shared values. And you don't have to be apologetic. Let donors decide their priorities. Sometimes we decide for people, they just want to send all their money to Israel. Maybe they do. You know what? And maybe they're going to decide that you know, they're also going to give you a donation where they could decide not to. Like, they have free choice. They're not putting that to anyone's head. Like, give them the opportunity. Don't say no for them. And you also want to remember that in a time where, like, things feel really dark or heavy, if you can show people some feel-good content, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you help um, kids who, well, I was going to say have cancer, but I'm like, that that isn't very light or lighter or fear. I don't mean light in the sense of like the people that you serve might be struggling, but if you can show them the joy that they're experiencing, people want to see joy. They want to see kindness. They want to see good news. So if you can show them that like positivity, people are craving that. And so your communication is helping them. It's not, you know, bothering them. Are you recommending that alongside these feel good content, they should put things like acknowledging what's going on in the world? Or at this point, do you think that's not necessary? So it's a little bit 
I hate to kind of compare it to COVID, but I think it's like our most recent example. So recent, yeah. Like, <laughs> what do we do here? Like, what is going on? Um, I think, you know, in the beginning, it was really appropriate to really make a statement about Israel, acknowledge Israel in, in those first few weeks if you did need to send any kind of communication. But I think people have done that. And, you know, like at some point, like when people were like, in these trying times or whatever, like, you know, unprecedented, right? Yeah, unprecedented, like over and over, it starts to kind of lose its meaning. I think and that's a good rule for marketing in general. It's like, if something's being said over and over, it starts to lose its meaning. So I would just say, communicate authentically. Like, how are you feeling? Like, if you did just see something that really touched you, like I know personally, I saw that video from that mom who was son was accidentally uh, was a hostage accidentally killed by the idea like it was so beautiful and like a testament to humanity so you can I, I would say if something feels like that's completely what's on top of mind for you then you know authentically communicate that but you I, I don't think you need to I think speaking I don't think at this point you need to put something in in every piece of communication I think do it when it feels right and authentic and instead remember that like the work that you do are the Jewish values that we're all collectively fighting for, that we all collectively want to uplift. That's such a good point about do what feels authentic, that I think that what nonprofit leaders and even the people who work for nonprofits, they don't realize they're not just running an organization. They really have established themselves as leaders in their community. Yes. Because they're the people that saw an issue and said, we're not just going to sit back and let this happen. We're going to do something about it. And they devoted their lives to it. And by like that really makes them people that the community looks up to. And if they can stand up and say, you know what, times are really, really difficult. And there's a lot going on and there's a lot we don't understand, but the mission is important and there's so much good that we can do. I think that's really inspirational and what people really need right now. So it's just like, it makes so much sense to say like, do what, do just do what feels right. One more, one more piece, which is if you are feeling like, well, you know what, I really, maybe you yourself think your donors should be prioritizing Israel. Then I would say add it to your communication, especially if it's a fundraiser, a way for them to support that isn't attached to money. So let's go back to like, let's say you're helping kids who who have a serious illnesses. Why don't you write, you know, P.S. Would you send a, you know, a message of strength and support? for these kids in the hospital or for these families. So, or maybe you do it even in a more formal way where you have like a, a, like a way for them to kind of fill out, fill out like a virtual card or something like that. But I think that can really help you if you're feeling like, you know, first of all, it's a good, good, a great idea in general, but specifically now when, you know, there might be people that care about your organization, but they feel really tapped out financially. That is a great point. I like the idea of like non-financial resources. There is so much that people can do. So that actually brings me to something I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned when you were working with Friendship Circle and you got all these corporate sponsors on board. So I know I have so much I want to ask you in the interest of time. We'll just, we'll try to limit the conversation because it could be its own conversation. But um, can we go into a little bit about corporate sponsorships where you see, especially because you said you work with a lot of smaller ones, where you see that nonprofits should try to fit corporate sponsorships into their strategy and what the potential is? Yes. So first of all, I'll give a shout out to someone I'm not sure if you know. She worked with Friendship Circle Montreal at the same time as me and did some amazing work for every and corporate sponsors. Her name is Batya Wilmot. She's incredible. But I do think that a big part of gaining that traction with the corporate sponsors was that pivot around values. When you can, you know, people aren't like, oh, I just want to fund program. When it's about the values, that really matters. I also think that's, again, to squeeze yourself to fit into someone else's mold isn't going to be the best idea. And so I think that if you can find partners that make sense, that align, I 
I'm sure it's very hard to go through a podcast with nonprofits without bringing up charity water. But uh, I was just like, how can you not be upset? I'm going to do it. I already said, what did I say? I said in these precedent times, now we're going to talk about charity water. We're going we're to do all the cliches. So I was actually in the Kalahari Resort a water park over Hanukkah with my kids, you know, and they partnered with charity water. It's like the minute you hear that, you're like, that makes perfect yes. sense. Charity love- water helps bring clean water to people in Africa. Kalahari is an African-themed water park. Like the minute you hear the two, you're like, duh. Like, isn't that just a genius sponsorship? Now, not every single thing is going to feel like that. But if you are going to be thinking about who do we want to be our corporate partners, um, you want to think like, you want to think along those lines of like, who does it make sense? Like, oh, it's so obvious that these, that we should partner with these. And you, I, I think that's a great place to, a uh, great place to start. But I would make the disclaimer of like, I think small, small nonprofits, another person that does great work in this area is Mallory Erickson. And she has, you know, this whole idea of mapping out like, what assets do you have to provide? to this corporate sponsor. So you always want to look at it as it's a relationship. It's got to be a two-way street. So maybe maybe you don't actually have like, you know, maybe you don't have an email list with 10,000 or 100,000 people that, you know, can help help get this brand visibility. But so then instead you want to feel like, okay, what are the assets we have? And then, and then really be like, okay, and which corporate partners would benefit from that, right? Like maybe your clientele is all older people. And so, you know, this makes sense for this brand, but you really want to think about how can this be two-way street? Because that is the only way that any kind of relationship is sustainable. So you really want to think about like, what assets do I have that I might not realize? And then how can I show this brand that they can benefit in that way? We never want it to be like this one-sided, hey, we need money. You have money. Let's make this happen. But I I do know that very often smaller nonprofits are better off probably going for those like unrestricted smaller gifts. Sometimes these grants can be like really that shiny, shiny object syndrome. I know just in my time, um, in my time, I was a program director, but you know, nonprofits, we wear many hats. I probably must have you know, done like five or six grant proposals until until I got one. And I was it was very exciting. It was Canada Post. Um, I won't forget how excited I was. But, you know, there's a, it takes so much time and effort and you really need to think about that. And a lot of these gifts are very specific. And, you know, you might have to spend more time reporting that then, you know, then, then was worth the money. So that, you know, that is something to consider depending on the capacity. That's interesting that you're saying that because my next question, and I'll make this my last because I know your time is valuable. What I kind of wanted to ask you is for these small nonprofits, where yeah. the the founder is usually wearing a lot of hats, like they're doing the program direction and the marketing and the development, and they're just spread really, really thin. And I've spoken to a lot of these people and they're so passionate and they all they want to do is really go out and like change the world and fix all the problems, but their time is really, really limited. Is there, I know this is probably a tough question, but if you can just say, start here, like this is where you can really maximize your time and have the most effort. Is there one area you would point to? This might almost sound too small, but I think, believe it or not, so many founders struggle with their elevator pitch. And the elevator pitch, essentially, it's not just for verbal pitches, but like, can you articulate what you do why it's unique and why I should care just really clearly and concisely. When I have nonprofits reach out to me um, about working together, um, you know, we hop on an inquiry call. The first thing I do is I just ask them, like, what is it your organization does? Now, I I mean, they sent me their link to the website. Like, I, I, I went on their website, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for if they have that clarity and 
I mean, you can't imagine how many times there are program lists in that pitch. So like, I think if you can find that, do that deep dive of like, what do we do? Why is it unique? And why should anyone care? Um, if you can really get clarity on that, I think that clarity is going to help with marketing, with that outreach. It also, so many small nonprofits have excellent word of mouth marketing. It's like just beautiful to see. But the issue is sometimes what people are saying on the ground don't match what like the founder is like, this is what we do, right? Like, because I think when we articulate very clearly over and over what we do, we can't control the word of mouth marketing, what people are going to say. We're not trying to, but slowly people are going to have the right words and language to communicate the same thing, right? When they're telling a friend, they're going to be able to say, what is this? How is it unique and why you should care? And that has kind of like this amazing ripple effect. So I'm really passionate about like, can we, can we get that concisely and then let that kind of spread? I love that. I was not expecting that answer. I don't know what I was expecting, but I really, really like that answer because it's that popped in my head. No, that, was, that no, because you know what? I don't think that anybody would have thought of that as like, that's almost like a given. Like, of course I know, but they don't really, <laughs> they really don't. So when I, and, and I like all three elements of it. So some people can tell me what they do, but it's like, well, why does that matter? Why should I care? Why is this the best way to do it? And I think a good sign that like you need to work on this is if people compare you to other organizations. Well, hey, doesn't X do this? Yeah. This, you know, and that really is like, okay, you got to be able to like real, you don't want to get those questions. You want people to be like, they, they should be able to tell their friend why this is not like that. Yes, that that's a really good point. I get that a lot. Like people think we do the same and they don't understand yes. why we're different. That's a really good point. So before we wrap up, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, learn more about your services, where should they go? Yeah. So you mentioned that we see each other on LinkedIn a lot. Um, LinkedIn's actually not really the place. I don't, I can't explain it. Like I don't feel fully comfortable there. I don't know why I put out the content. I still really like Instagram. That's my primary platform. I just feel like you can have a little bit more fun. I know LinkedIn's not all professional, but as you can see, I'm not like the most buttoned up person. So I love Instagram. Um, you can follow me at thepedal.co. Definitely you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I do put out content there, but um, Instagram is like still where I, where I feel most at home. It's definitely your your most authentic self. I can see that. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for doing this. This was awesome. Really, really appreciate it. Matt, the work you do is amazing. Um, and it's an Thank honor you. to chat with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tzivya at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com.